Chapter 2. Judges in chapter 2, a lot of our messages out of the book of Judges are going uh, to feel like uh, you know, one of those heartbeat scales. We're going to be down in the depths and then way up, on, way up and happy and then down in the depths again and way up and happy. And uh, we're not starting off real good. <clears throat> uh, this is not a fun passage, but uh, it is here and it is uh, very even typical uh, to humanity, I'm afraid, but... So let me just give you the title real quick. Is Some sorrow is just pathetic. Some sorrow is just pathetic. Okay? So Judges chapter 2, begin reading in verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim, or Bochim, and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt... And have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore also, wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you. But they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. Father, we thank you. Lord, for the day, we thank you for this passage. I pray that you would, Lord, help us to, uh, to listen well. And just, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to stay focused, uh, Lord, on the preaching, and that you'd help your people to be ready to listen. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Some sorrow is just pathetic. Well, you'll get there uh, as we walk through here, but... Um, let me just start with this. There's nothing wrong with being sorry, right? But sorry is not repentance. Repentance is repentance. Repentance can include sorry. Often can be sorry. Sometimes it's a sorry that may not be outside, but repentance is repentance. Uh, so do you all know what I'm talking about? Like you have a problem with sin, and it's one of those things that you just keep falling on the same sin over and over and over and over. And for a while, you'd beat yourself up for it. And then after a while, you're just sick of yourself. You're sick of being sorry because sorry didn't fix it. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. We're going to talk this a little bit about that today. Um, 
Because sorry is not repentance. Now, repentance can come with sorrow, and we'll talk about that a little later. But So we start to sing off, and a very interesting thing, it says an angel of the Lord comes up from Gilgal. But this angel of the Lord does not say, thus saith the Lord. He says, I said unto you. Now, it's interesting, often when the Bible uses the term angel of the Lord, we have to gauge by the context whether or not it is literally God himself appearing as a person to his people, or if it literally is just an angel that God has sent, because sometimes God does both. This apparently is what we would call a theophanies. I would actually probably more think it's a Christophanies, if you will. A theophanies meaning a time when God chooses to man himself, manifest himself, shows up in a body on the earth, on the planet. Um, I tend to think this one here might be Christ, but, but whatever it is, Theophanies or Christophanies, it's God himself choosing to show himself as a man to the people of Israel in the flesh. Now, I, I want to just talk about this angel of the Lord a little bit. If you want to run back and look at some of these passages while I'm reading them, that's great. But it says he comes up from Gilgal, and, and it calls him an angel of the Lord. So if we go about, all the way back to Exodus... All the way back to the book of Exodus in chapter 23, listen, listen to what God says to the, to the children of Israel in verse 20 through 25. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice and provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angels shall go before thee, and bring thee in unto the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them, and quite break down their images, and ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. This is a, all the way back to the book of Exodus. Here's God promising, you're going to have an angel going before you. The angel of the Lord, my angel, he's going to go before you. Now it's funny, I never connected that to this. Not, even though it's there, just having to study the passage made me go back and look at it a little bit. So this is the angel of the Lord that God has sent specifically to lead his people uh, into the land. He's going to be with them. Uh, perhaps he was the one who showed up as a, the, uh, the pillar of fire. I don't know. But it, this angel very specifically says he's going to be there. He's going to help drive them out uh, in the promised land. The angel of the Lord. And okay, so this is the angel of the Lord. Through this, the, uh, the angel of the Lord, by God, is commanding them to destroy the religion of the Canaanites by God himself following the, this angel, destroy the religion of the Canaanites in Deuteronomy and other passages, drive out or destroy those who will not be driven out, okay? And with that would come God's blessing, okay? But we can just go back to the book of Joshua we just got done with. I think it's Joshua 23, 15, where I think that where Joshua says, from the word of the Lord, if you don't drive them out, I will be as thorns in your side and a, and a snare, Okay, we could move into a little further in Exodus to the book of, or to the chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, okay, verses 10 through 17. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all thy people I will do marvels such as not, have not been not 
have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself. Listen, take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. These are all places of worship. These are all um, idolatrous places and things, okay? For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat his, of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods, thou shalt make thee no molten gods. I mean, this is clear as a bell. When you get into that land, don't do it. Don't do anything with them. Drive them out. Destroy them. Destroy all the altars. Don't do any of that. Okay? <coughs> now think. Who was it that David met when he was out there considering after they crossed the, they crossed the river and he's out there looking at Jericho, figuring out how to attack? Who shows up? But an angel of the Lord, a man who calls himself what? The captain of the host. I've come to take over. I've come to lead the, lead the armies. It's the same It's the same place, Gilgal, and the same God that, that Joshua meets. Here's this angel goes before them. He meets them. It's a, it's the, he declares himself the captain of the host. Literally just a few verses prior to that is where Joshua leads all the children of Israel in uh, following commands that they've not followed for a very long time. And God says he's rolled away the reproach of Egypt. God is, uh, God is with his people as the captain of the host, he's leading his people as the captain of the host. They're about to have great victory with this angel of God that God has promised to go before him. And I'm, this, listen, this is where this angel comes from, Gilgal. It says, look what it says, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bohem, or Bohem. In other words, they saw him. He walked from Gilgal to Bochim. Okay, depends on... I tried looking at this. We think Bohem or Bohem might be Bethel. Uh, It's a lengthy walk. We're not sure how far. It's one of those, you know, which side is which. We're not entirely sure. But it's long enough for people to get the picture. He went from there to there. They saw him going. Okay? He comes up. Um, This is God who has already been their leader. This is the angel Lord who has already led them in military work. Uh, He's... He even says, I, I've kept my part of the bargain. I've kept my, my part of the covenant. And it's, uh, instead of showing up to say, hey, you guys have messed up a little bit. Can we correct this? Okay, good, let's go. That's not how he shows up. A little later in the chapter, uh, in, in Judges, it says that he is hot with anger. The same basic story. He's hot with anger. And he comes up and he gives a pronouncement, and that's it. There's no options. There's no, there's no backing out. Uh, the, the children of Israel have gone a little, has anybody ever gone a little too far with your parents? Like, you tested it, you tested it, and you kept kind of running over that same thing, getting away with it, and then all of a sudden they're done you, with you getting away with it, and it's over? I mean, like, you ain't ever getting away with that again? Has anybody here ever run into that with your parents? Okay, or been the parent that's done that? 
God says, no, we're done. He shows up, and apparently, I'd have to say he's upset. There's no bartering. There's no offer of repentance. There's no open door. There's no offer of mercy. Not a year. Well, why is that? Well, because the children of Israel already know. We, we just read just a few of the verses. And we could go back into Deuteronomy. We could go parts of Leviticus. We can go through what Moses, Moses' last statement in Deuteronomy. Joshua's, Joshua's repeat of those statements in Joshua. I mean, this is, this is not new to the children of Israel. They know. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 7 was to be read, which is part of that driving out of all the, all the Canaanites' parasites, was to be read every seven years uh, to the, uh, every, uh, what do they call that, the... Uh, the Sabbath year, every sabbatical year, Deuteronomy 7 was read to all the children of Israel. So they, they knew this. This was not something that was, was hidden. The children of Israel already knew what they, were, what they were supposed to do and what they are supposed to do in response to this. They, already know the, they even already know the consequences. The consequences have already been said. That's why he says, if you look at it, look down here in verse, um, verse 3, Wherefore I also said, he's referencing something he's already said, and it is true. Again, if you have a cross-reference, you can look at verse 3 and you'll see that it gives several other places where you can find some of this same statement, some of it being just recently in Joshua, and as we've already read some of these in Exodus. They already understand. This, this is like one of those things, and some, one of the things we did with our kids. Our kids, we had, for a while, we had certain things. If, if, if you break... If you sin this sin, if you tell a lie, it's this many swats. If you don't do your chores, it's this many swats. They, and it was already there, written down in black and white. They knew. If you did this, it's one swat. If you did this, it's three swats. I mean, it, it's clear as a bell. If you broke it, how many swats does it say? Yep, okay, well, let's go. I, I mean, it was already there. They knew what they did. They already knew what the consequences were. And listen, the children of Israel had no excuse. They had no excuse. Evidently, they had. So when it says make a league, that's, in other words, a treaty. Uh, a treaty, uh, it can be a business, a business agreement. It can be a pact between two people. Okay? So evidently, they'd are, they have made treaties and covenants with many of the different tribes of Canaan. Now, God is a patient God. It's not like this happened one time and God said, God flew off the handle. I think we all know, how, how patient is God? I mean, think about it. He's been patient with mankind for thousands of years so far. God is a very patient God. It, evident, this is something that's gone on now for a lengthy period, consistently, more and happening more and more and more, in the face of them knowing exactly what they were doing. It's like being the parent, watching your kid do something they know they're not supposed to do, and trying to be patient, and hoping, well, maybe they just blew it, you know, maybe they forgot, and then you can see after a while they're going to do it again. Okay, now they're pushing it again. And that, so being the parent having at some point step in and say, that's enough. We're, we're done. Uh, no, no parent likes to do that. At least I hope you don't. Uh, you know you have to do it, but you don't like to do it. It's to step in and say, okay, I'm, I'm stopping this right here. We're done. You're, you're not, we're done. I just... And so God patiently waits. They've made treaties. Evidently, they had not thrown down the altars of all the false gods. Evidently, not only had they not, not thrown down the altars, evidently they started mixing in, allowing some of that worship even amongst their own people. They disobeyed the word of the Lord that they knew and had been reminded of 
directly. This was not, this was not a hidden thing. It wasn't like they made a mistake. Not only did they, and I've kind of mentioned this, but apparently and by some of the later passages that we see, they had begun to not just allow them to have their religion and make pacts with them, but they'd begun to take part in some of the actions of their religions. And the Lord asks a really interesting question. Why'd you do this? Why have you done this? I mean, think of this. God told them. It really is a simple question. Well, why is it a simple question? Because they already, they already knew it was right. Okay, why worship a God who cannot speak? Now, let's put it in their, let's, let's go to their day, their age, their perspective. Why worship a God who does not show up in person to talk to us? Hello? Why worship a God that, oh yeah, Steve around the corner, he made that. Hello? If God made if if a man made the God, then it's not a God. Why would you why would you worship and allow a God to be around who does not answer prayers? Why would you teach your kids that that's okay? Why serve a God that you have to make yourself? <laughs> Think about that a second. Anything man made is obviously not God. Why would they turn away from a God that actually speaks to them? And let me just say this, also expects a response. He doesn't just pass down, you know, dictates from above. He expects a response from his people. That's why there's an opportunity, places to do that. A God, why would they turn away from a God who keeps his promises? All the way up to this point has kept his promises. Why? 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 I think we all know the answer to that, if we really want to be honest, but we'll talk a little bit further. And now God, this is what God says. Look at what he says, verse 3. I will not drive them out from before you. Okay, so we have two things removed here. So number one, he does, they do not now have the power of God to drive them out. Okay, now here's number two. And they, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. The thorns in your sides is a direct quote from, uh, from another part. Uh, from another part, well, I don't think that needs explanation. You know, does anybody? You know, their thorns weren't little. I mean, they were pretty hefty thorns. Anybody here want a thorn about that long in your side? You, can anybody? You know, you get the good picture of. You know, just take a screwdriver and jam it in your side, and you got the picture of a thorn in your side. Anybody want to start functioning like that? Does that sound like a great thing? Yeah, ice pick. You know, poom. I'm just going to leave it there and walk around and like like everything's normal. No, it's not working. But the emphasis in this passage it literally is on the snare. Uh, the thorns in your sides is kind of a, a, a point back to a something else. But in this passage, it's, it's, it's aiming at that, that snare part. They shall, their God shall be a snare unto you. That snare, is, I'm always, I always think a trap, okay? But this word snare, it, 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 it talks about the trap, but it's talking about the bait that gets you to the trap. Their gods will be constantly baiting you, and you're constantly going to fall to their bait, so that you're all the time finding yourself right in the middle of all their mess, and you won't have my power to protect you from it. You won't have my, you won't have my power to drive them out, and you don't have my protection from them. Uh, those, are, those aren't good things. But the influence of these, these worldly gods, whatever it is the influence that they have, are constantly going to bait the children of God and the children of Israel to go further line, basically down a line of self-destruction. 
which, again, is exactly what God said he would do. Joshua 23.13, I have it here in my notes, Joshua 23.13. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, if you do what they're doing, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Wow. You know, the psalmist, Psalm 106, the psalmist gives a complete history of, of Israel and includes this time. This is what the psalmist in Psalm 106 says of this period of time. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works, and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Hear the words? Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Let me just pause and ask you a question right now. Just, I want you to connect the dots here a second. Um, is, is the United States, is the United States, is our land polluted with the blood of children right now? Hello? You, we have to connect the dots. That that is a direct cause of worshiping idols. Well, we don't worship false gods in the U.S. Okay, so we don't have we don't have altars to Baal set up somewhere, and we all go there. But there are lots of gods that are destroying our children under a whole lot of other names in the United States. Absolutely, absolutely. I. I just use your brain a little bit and think on that. Just think on it a little bit, okay? They sacrificed their sons and daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen. And they, they the heathen, I'm sorry, the they, the Israelites, hated them, they that hated them ruled over them. There we go. i got to get it in my head. The people that hated them ruled over them. Wow. The children of Israel, why did they do this? Well, number one, because they're human, and they want what they want. And we'll talk about the gods of the, the, gods of the Canaanites were fun gods to serve, Okay? And we'll talk about them in a little bit. They were fun gods. Okay? So, but let's just start here. Can I let you in a little secret? I, I, I think you all might know this, but if you want to go to Boise, you don't travel east. Let me restate it. You cannot travel the wrong direction and get to the right destination. Listen. You cannot travel the wrong direction and get to the right destination. You cannot spend your days messing around with the gods of the world, the loves of the world, the entertainments of the world, and expect to become a righteous, faithful Christian. Hello? Let's just put this in very practical things. Don't ever expect your kids to worship God when they never see you on your knees before Him. Don't ever expect your kids to trust the Word of God if they never see you read it. Do you, can we keep going in some different directions? How many different spots we go? You cannot travel the wrong direction and end up in the right destination. 
You can't, you can't keep your own heart and mind and your family's heart and mind filled nonstop with the entertainment of the world and expect to have a godly family at the end of the day. It's not going to happen. The children of Israel had stopped following God's command concerning the promised land, which was drive them out or destroy them and don't have anything to do with their gods. Don't have anything to do with their gods. It says you just ought to bust them up and burn them, essentially. Get rid of it. If they got an orchard, cut it down. That, for some reason, a grave, groves, they would have, plant, they would have trees there, lots of trees area where they go. I'm assuming like a pretty garden. You know, where they would go and worship these gods up in high spots, and they said, you need to cut all those trees down. Are trees bad? No. But they were being used as to worship a god, but trees aren't bad. He said, no, I don't even want the trees. Just cut the whole place down. I want you to think about that. God's talking in severe, severe terms. This is severity. You treat, the, you treat the gods of the world with severity. Man, don't, don't, your kids should think nothing. Let, let's put it this way. When you step up and say, no, we're done watching this, and click, turn it off, your kids ought, shouldn't know. They're going, Dad, come on. They ought to go, okay, Dad, gotcha. They might be like, what? Did you not see? No. Well, good. I did. Ain't no more. Okay. No, we're not reading those books anymore. Why is that? Because I've read them, and I know where they're going, and I know what they're talking about, and we don't need that in our house. If you read a lot, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a lot of books out there. I mean, talk to Miss Vicky. <laughs> there's plenty of books, and there's plenty of books that should still be on the shelf, never end up in your home, on your home. Amen. The children of Israel had stopped following God's command concerning the promised land. But here's where it gets worse. When God shows up and rebukes them for it, man, they got really sad. I mean, look at that. Look at, I mean, this is a slobbering, emotional, look at that. Um, verse 4, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and they wept, and they, they even gave the, na- the place a new name. They called it Weeper, or the place of weeping, and they had a sacrifice. I mean, this is, man, this is loud. They're loud weeping and crying. They spent so much time there that, you know, like I say, they decided to name the place Weeping and Crying, and then they decided to even make it more spiritual. Let's take up an offering. I- I'm sorry, Let- let's, uh, let's do it, let's... You know, let's have a sacrifice. We'll give some of our we'll give some of our animals to the Lord. We'll, we'll you know this is what we'll do. And you know, man, this we're going to walk out, and they probably all went home saying, "Man, that was such a good meeting. Man, we had a big offering, and there was there was a lot of weeping and crying and people at the altar." But here's the problem: no repentance. Well, how do you know that? Because we know the rest of the Book of Judges right off the bat. Listen. God was, listen, I want you to think about this. God was present. God was present. They were weeping because God was present and rebuked them. They gave a big offering. That's what sacrificing is. They gave all their own stuff and they made a bunch of offerings to God so he'd, so he'd feel good about them, or so he'd feel better about them. If they feel better about themselves, essentially. But here's the problem, the whole problem. They were sorry but not because of their sin. They were sorry of the consequences of their sin. Because that's the only thing that's been given, is the consequences. There's no repentance. If, if we just go down to verse 11 through 14, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. 
And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the... This is just a few verses later, and essentially the same, the same time period. This, this is not repentance. Y'all remember what repentance is, right? means, I see what I'm doing and say, mm, this is wrong. I need to do it differently. But what do we have here? They're still doing the exact same thing that got them here. The same stupid stuff. They followed other gods, the gods of people around about them. They bowed themselves unto them. They provoked the Lord to anger and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Names them out very specifically. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Baal and Ashtaroth. So, not to be... Well, this is like, Baal and Ashtaroth is like the perfect uh, duo of gods for any man. I'm male, okay? Because Baal is basically uh, the god of production. In other words, you worship him and everything I do turns to gold. I plant crops and I have great crops. So for a guy, all my work, it sounds great. It does great. And Ashtaroth is the goddess of war and sex. I mean, this is it, okay? You know how you worship Ashtaroth? I'm going to be a little bit careful here. But there's a temple, and there's a whole bunch of people at the temple who will provide you those services. And that's how you worship. That's how they worshiped. In intimate form. For every guy, perfect religion. Everything I do out in the field, all my job is super productive, and I can have all the intimacy I want and call it religion. So I've done my worship, I've done my production, and i got... Ashtaroth is interesting, though. I, I just I, I want to I stop and just put in a parenthesis here, and we need to talk just a little bit about Ashtaroth. I, I'm not even going to give you... So Ashtaroth comes from the god Astarte. Astarte comes from the, the, the first version of this would be Semiramis. Okay? Semiramis, uh, some of you might know the name Nimrod, the Bible, the mighty hunter Nimrod. Semiramis was the mother of Nimrod. Okay? I'm sorry, was... Uh, the, the wife of Nimrod, Nimrod died, quote-unquote, this is how the, the, the legend goes, the very first iteration of this whole process. And uh, Semiramis has an adulterous affair, and as a result, her husband Nimrod is born to her as her son, and Nimrod was considered a god, and so it's God reincarnated, and so Semiramis is called the mother of God, the queen of heaven. That's what she was called, okay? Then, Ashtaroth is Semiramis. Here's some other names. Same goddess, Astarte, Lilith. In some Wiccan, they, she's called Eve. Ishtar, the Greek Aphrodite or Hera. In Rome would be Venus or Juno. In, in Egypt, she'd have been Isis. Yeah, Isis. Wonder Woman, Isis, Okay? And in Ephesus, in the Bible, she's known as Diana. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. 
And each one of these iterations, and there's a lot more. I could give you name after name after name. We can keep going. But in each one of these iterations, she's known as the Queen of Heaven and the Mother of God. I have a problem with that. It's unbelievably interesting to me. Where's Diana? Where, where is she primarily worshipped? The city of Ephesus. It's in the Council of Ephesus in the 5th century that the Catholic Church declared the Virgin Mary to be the mother of God. And in the 100 years prior to that, literally right the 100 years prior to that, in the Catholic Church, she began to be called the Queen of Heaven. Mary, the Virgin Mary is a Catholic Church Caesar is the Queen of Heaven and the Mother of God. You look at you look at any website that is non-Christian that starts listing off these goddesses' names, and the Virgin Mary is included. That's I'm telling you, that is the height of I have taken the gods of the world and my religion, and I'm trying to make both work somehow for me. Serious issues. Now, you cannot transfer the world's religion to your Christianity and call it good. That's not going to work. You cannot transfer the world's philosophies and thoughts of how things are supposed to work to Christianity, find some Bible verse to support a worldly philosophy, and call it good. No. No. Wrong sinful, wicked, God will not support it. If the world discovers a truth of God, good for them, it's still God's truth, not the world's. Listen, where are you getting your truth from? This is very important. The truth about yourself, the truth about your life, the truth about your your health, your finances, your work, where do you get that truth from? If it comes from the world, you're being influenced by the world and not from God's word, I'm telling you, you are walking a dangerous road. Walking a dangerous road. Anyways, we'll get back to our text here. Back to our text. What are we talking about? They are sorry, but they're not sorry for their sin. They're sorry they got caught. They're, caught. They're sorry for the consequences of this, their sin. I think all of us, either we were or we had one of those, kid, one of those uh, brothers and sisters or cousins who were always like the biggest weeper of the group whenever we got caught, and they were never sorry. Like, we all got caught because of that one, and he's the last one to be sorry about it. As soon as nobody's looking, he's going to try it again. No question about it. Sorry they got caught, not sorry for the sin. They did not depend, repent. They were, well, sorry. In every definition of the term. But they did not repent. Wow. Uh, listen, listen careful, listen careful. They knew what to do. God did not have to give them a path to repentance. They already knew what to do. What? You start driving them out again. You stop worshiping again. Stop worshiping their stuff. You start destroying their stuff. You, you go to the Lord in more than just weeping and, oh, no, there has to be repentance. There needs to be a change of mind that says, Lord, you're right, that is wicked. And we need to stop that. I've got to turn my back on that and start going this way. 
The problem is, is they'd let it go so long that God said, well, at least for now, they're going to be thorns in your sides. They're constantly going to be baiting you. They're constantly going to hold the lure in front of you saying, come back, come back, look what we've got. Look what we've got. Because it's not like there's any advertisements that aim at making our life more productive. Right? It's not like like our world's not full of advertisements that tell us how we can be better people. How we can lose more weight and gain gain more promotions and get more money. Get more people of the opposite sex. Come on. It's always there. But let me show you the opposite of this. So turn to 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes the the, the church at Corinth, which they had allowed some wicked, wicked sin, and he he gets after them. I mean, he, he, like the Lord does here, he rips into them and even says... Not even the heathen would do stuff like this. This is, this is awful. You guys, you're not even repenting, and you're, you're making fun of it, talking like, oh, yeah, we're the church of love, we're accepting all. He's this not right. You need to take care of this, and he does that. <coughs> In 2 Corinthians, he writes a second letter, chapter 7. <coughs> In verse 7, he starts addressing their response to his first letter. And not by his coming only, Titus bringing his news of the church of Corinth, but by the consolation wherewith he was, he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, so there's some sorriness there, your fervent mind toward me so that I rejoice the more. Verse 8, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Let me just ask you a question. You're, you're, you're a believer. Paul has just clearly defined two different types of sorry. A sorrow that leads to repentance and a sorrow that just leaves me in the world and I'm still feeling like death. I would just rather die. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? Why is this even worth it? So let me ask you a question. I just want you to ask your own heart. Look in your own heart. The issues of sin that you've had and you've been sorry for it, one way or the other, what has that sorry done in you? Has it led you to repentance, where the life has changed? Listen, the life has changed, you have walked away, you've started to see victory, or a sorry that just keeps running down the same pathway and just begins to feel dead inside, because I'll never beat this. Come on now! Because there's... Two kinds of sorry. You, you know what I think God would rather have? No more sorry, no more, no more trips to the altar, no more crying and weeping and out loud. He'd like to see you get up in the morning and start walking the other direction. 
Well, how am I supposed to do that? Did God promise us as believers that he was going to be with us in our fight against sin? And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. We don't have this issue that the, that the Israelites had. We have God with us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you attack that sin, God promised he's with you. You've already won the battle. You're already an overcomer. You can beat it. You, you, but it's going to take, again, we've talked about this, you're going to have to start swinging the sword. But if you're not willing to go after it, and all you want to do is just sit there and act like a baby who messes himself and expects God to come in and change you every stinking time, pun intended, guess what you're going to do? You're going to mess yourself again. Listen, repentance is vital. The children of Israel, listen, the children of Israel knew exactly what they were supposed to do. I dare say everyone in the room knows what you're supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to do. When the issue comes up again and you're tempted to, do, tempted to walk down that same old sinful, ugly pathway and you can't stand it, but you think that you're just stuck in it and that you can't beat it, even though God says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we get mad at ourselves and we hate ourselves for it and we wish we'd just die or God would kill us and get it over with. And here's God saying, I wish you'd just repent. I wish you'd just change your mind and look at that like I look at it. And instead of feeling sorry for yourself about it, You'd look at it as a wicked, awful sin that put Christ on the cross and is abhorrent. And instead of saying, oh, well, would try to fight. He says, when you try to fight, you're going to see me on your side. Put off, put on. Put off, put on. What is it you have trouble with? Listen, you can have victory. Or you can sit there and be sorry. And some sorry is just pathetic. For those of you who think, well, I'm just waiting on God to do it. Okay, how long have you been waiting? Well, it's got to be a work of God. I completely agree it's got to be a work of God by, by me having trust in Him to do it. And that trust has to be followed up with action, believing He's doing it. Amen. Instead of sitting there going, have you done it yet, God? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe some next meeting. Do you, so here, here's the ultimate, here's the ultimate, James ties faith and works, right? Everybody here? Everybody here? If you have faith, it's going to show up in works. It's not works for faith, that's completely backwards, foreign to God, anti-biblical. But if you have proper faith in God, that faith in God is going to result in works. Why? Because I trust he's doing something I can't do. Hello? That's what faith in God is. And I, I step away from the great granite foundation of who God is, and God says, you are a victor, you can beat this, and I step forward acting as if I am the victor. Listen, hear that? Acting as if, because I am. And the power of God works through me. For those of you who are a little bit more on the theological end of this, okay? But there's this whole group of people who sit there and go, I just got to believe more and then God's going to do some magic. He's going to change your diapers. Is that what you want? You want him to do something? You know, well, I just can't do it. God's going to have to wave his magic wand and change my diapers because I made a mess again. Thank the Lord we have a merciful God who is very forgiving. But he also expects us to grow. And in multiple places in the New Testament, that, that growth, part of the responsibility for that growth is placed firmly on our part. And it has to happen by 
faith. The just shall live by faith. I believe God says I can beat this. What does the Bible say? To obey is better than... You hear that? What What did the Israelites do here? They sacrificed. You know what would have been better? For them to say, you're right, where's my sword? Well, it's going to be hard because God's not with us. Yeah, but that's what we have to do. That's what we're supposed to do. Let's go do it. Some of you are still tied up in sin because you are convinced. You are convinced you can't beat it. Which is essentially worshiping the gods of this world. Some of you wonder why God's not in your life when you're not in His. Your whole, your whole week, your whole life is spent in things that, are non, that have nothing to do with God, hoping that somehow three services at church and the few things a preacher might say is going to turn your life around spiritually. No. Waiting for some high moment, the evangelist to come in one week out of, out of uh, the 50-some in the year, the 52 weeks in the year, that somehow, somehow that one week that special preacher come in, that's going to change my life around. No, repentance is what changes your life around. Faith in God. Trust in God. Amen. And getting up, getting up in the morning and realizing again, I blew it. But you know what? God's forgiveness. Thank the Lord for it. I've got to look at this again. I'm going to, I'm going to keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. Amen. You will see victory. I, and I can say this wholeheartedly. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen God help me beat things that were decades old. Decades old. That's, that's astounding. Things I thought I could, listen, things I thought I would never beat. And it wasn't because I sat waiting around for God to do something, got sick of Him and just gave myself up to doing whatever it was. It's me looking at God and then starting to find the Scripture and saying, what does God say about this particular sin of mine? Amen. Some sorrow is just pathetic. Does nothing. Sorrow needs repentance. Amen. Father.